Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Whatever time you're listening to this, please welcome to the Market Color Podcast. This is a weekly podcast that is dedicated to providing our listeners with a broad overview of the global financial markets, including a special focus on the Kenyan markets. And in order to deliver on this objective, we have structured this podcast to begin with an overview of the global markets so as to give you a big picture perspective of the global economy. This is then followed by the Kenyan segment where we review the performance of the local markets with a view to covering all the major asset classes. And finally, we wrap up the podcast by addressing the topical issue for that week so as to bring you up to speed with the latest financial headlines. This podcast is targeted at the individual with an interest in the financial markets, but who probably doesn't have the time for research and analysis. That is why I created the Market Color Podcast to call it and analyze the data on your behalf and to present it in a brief and concise manner that is easy for you to consume. Ladies and gentlemen, this here is episode number 60 and as mentioned previously to commemorate the first anniversary of the Market Color Podcast, I'm in the process of writing a book that is focused on fundamental analysis and this will help our listeners to develop a better understanding of the global financial markets and in particular how economic data influences asset prices. I will keep you updated on the progress of this book. So this week, we are reviewing the performance of the global markets during the 24th week of 2023. And that is from Monday the 12th to Friday the 16th of June. And without further ado, this is your host, Jamu Huri. And together, let's dive right in. We kick it off in the United States where the Federal Reserve Bank on Wednesday adopted a hawkish pause when it decided to hold its benchmark rate at the same target range of between 5% to 5.25%. However, the decision to put rates on hold was accompanied by some forward guidance for another two rate hikes before the end of this year. The Federal Open Markets Committee said it would take the next six weeks to review the impact of its previous policy decisions, which appear to be working as inflation has now begun to dip. The Fed's next policy meeting is scheduled for the 25th and 26th of July. And staying in the United States, the Labor Department on Tuesday reported that inflation had cooled off in the month of May to its lowest level in the past two years. The Consumer Price Index, which measures price changes for a selected basket of goods and services, increased by just 0.1% for the month, bringing the annual rate of inflation down to 4% from 4.9% in the previous month of April. Meanwhile, the core inflation number, which excludes volatile food and energy prices, rose by 0.4% for the month and was still up by 5.3% on an annual basis. 
And in the Eurozone, the European Central Bank on Thursday took a different path from the Federal Reserve when it announced that it was hiking its benchmark rate by another 25 basis points to 3.5%. The European Central Bank has been raising interest rates since July 2022 in an attempt to bring down inflation across the trading block. To its credit, the latest inflation readings showed that prices were cooling down at a faster-than-expected pace, with headline inflation coming in at 6.1% in the month of May. However, inflation still remains well above the central bank's target level of 2%. And in Nippon, the Bank of Japan also held its monetary policy meeting last week and as expected, it decided to maintain its ultra-loose monetary policy with a view to supporting the country's fragile economic growth, especially during these times of increasing global uncertainty. After its two-day policy meeting, the Bank of Japan on Friday decided to hold its short-term interest rate target at negative 0.1% and also maintained its current yield curve control policy. In the U.S. stock market, stocks slipped on Friday as Wall Street closed out a week in which investors received encouraging inflation data and as the Federal Reserve opted to pause its rate-hiking campaign. The S&P 500 ticked down by 0.37% to close at 4,409, while the Dow Jones Industrial Average slipped 109 points to close at 34,299, and the Nasdaq Composite lost 0.68% to finish the session at 13,000. 689. For the week, the S&P 500 was up 2.6%, whilst the Nasdaq Composite rose about 3.3%, as both indices recorded their best performance since March. Meanwhile, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 1.3% for the week, for its third positive week in a row. In the U.S. bond market, the yields on U.S. treasuries rose on Friday as investors considered the future path of interest rates as the Federal Reserve opted to pause its rate-hiking cycle for the time being. On the back of that decision, the yield on the policy-sensitive two-year treasury note traded higher by about 7.3 basis points to 4.72%, whilst the yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury bond added 4 basis points to trade at 3.769%. Investors remain focused on the outlook for interest rates, as the Federal Reserve has indicated that there are at least two more rate hikes later this year. In the commodity markets, despite the prospect for further rate hikes as well as projected weakness in the global economy, the price of crude oil rose on Friday and posted a weekly gain, and this was on the back of increased demand from China, coupled with supply cuts from the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries. 
the international benchmark Brent crude gained 94 cents to settle at 76.61 US dollars a barrel, whilst the US benchmark West Texas Intermediate rose by 1.16 US dollars to close at 71.78 US dollars a barrel. Brent crude posted a weekly gain of 2.4%, whilst West Texas Intermediate rose by 2.3%. Crude oil gained during the past week on hopes of growing demand, as traders expect Chinese demand to keep climbing during the second half of this year. Meanwhile, Marban oil, which Kenya imports, decreased to 74.50 US dollars per barrel, compared to 77.28 US dollars the previous week. In the precious metals market, the price of gold was choppy on Friday as investors contemplated the Federal Reserve's hawkish outlook on interest rates, which helped to offset the dollar's overall weakness earlier in the week. Spot gold edged up to $1,958 per ounce and route to a marginal weekly dip of 0.1%. The Fed's hawkish outlook has dampened the appeal for the zero-yielding asset, as traders price in a 74% chance for a rate hike at the Fed's next policy meeting in July. In the cryptocurrency world, Bitcoin received a stamp of approval from BlackRock, which is the world's largest asset manager, when it filed an application to launch the first exchange-traded fund for spot Bitcoin in the United States. And as a consequence of this action, crypto prices rose on Friday with Bitcoin rising by 3.75% to close the week at 26,355 US dollars per coin. We now change scene to the Kenyan financial markets and as is the norm we start by looking at the foreign exchange market where during the past week the Kenya shilling continued to depreciate versus the major international currencies but remained stable and resilient versus the regional currencies. According to data obtained from Central Bank, the Kenya shilling was trading at 139.71 versus the U.S. dollar compared to 139.11 the previous week. However, commercial banks were still selling the U.S. dollar at between 142 shillings on the lower side to 148 shillings on the higher side. Meanwhile, the sterling pound was priced at 176.91 and the euro was valued at 151.21. And on the regional front, one Kenya shilling was changing hands for 26.55 Ugandan shillings and 17.14 Tanzanian shillings. And to the Rwandese franc, it was posted at 8.17. It is still my considered opinion that the Kenya shilling will continue to depreciate for the foreseeable future as the country remains weighed down by excessive foreign external debts which have increased our debt-to-GDP ratio above the 70% level and as debt servicing costs 
now consume about 60% of total revenue collections. On foreign exchange reserves during the past week, Kenya's usable foreign exchange reserves decreased by $73 million to $7.459 billion, which is equivalent to 4.11 months of import cover. This meets the central bank's statutory requirement to endeavor to maintain at least four months of import cover. For the first time in the last six months, Kenya's foreign exchange reserves have now risen above the required threshold, and this was attributed to a $1 billion loan from the World Bank. However, the loan facility from the World Bank is a stopgap measure and really doesn't address Kenya's underlying problem, which is excessive external borrowing that has pushed our debt to unsustainable levels. On diaspora remittances, the latest data from the central bank shows that in the month of May 2023, the inflow of remittances from county number 48 totaled $352 million compared to $320 million in the previous month of April, which was an increase of about 10%. Meanwhile, the cumulative inflows for the past 12 months to May 2023 totaled $3.997 billion. The inflow of remittances continues to support Kenya's current account, as well as the local foreign exchange market. The United States remains the largest source of remittances into Kenya, accounting for about 54% of total remittances that were received in the month of May. Diaspora remittances remain the largest source of foreign currency inflows into the country since 2015. In the meantime, the outgoing governor of the central bank, Dr. Patrick Jaroge, has announced that the regulator will shortly be rolling out an over-the-counter online trading platform that will enable investors to buy and sell treasury bills and bonds. The new system will enable online registration and will therefore mitigate the current inconvenience of having to physically show up at the central bank. This will be especially beneficial to Kenyans in the diaspora who are looking for investment opportunities back at home. Dr. Njoroge has said that the platform will help to tap the more than 400 billion shillings that is wired back home by Kenyans living abroad. In the money markets, the interbank market was flooded with liquidity during the past week as government payments into the market exceeded and more than offset tax remittances to the government. Commercial banks' excess reserves in relation to the 4.25% cash reserve requirement stood at just shy of 66 billion shillings. Meanwhile, open market operations remained active with the average interbank rate rising to 9.42%, compared to 9.2% the previous week. During the past week, the average value traded in the interbank market decreased to 18.3 billion shillings from 26.4 billion shillings the previous week. 
In the government securities market, the weekly Treasury bill auction was held on Thursday, the 15th of June, and the central bank received bids totaling 22.6 billion shillings against an advertised amount of 24 billion shillings, representing a performance of about 94%. Meanwhile, interest rates increased marginally but remained stable, as the bulk of the bids, about 18 billion shillings, were concentrated at the short end of the yield curve, where the 91-day rate posted an increase of 22 basis points to 11.64%, whilst the 182-day rate inched up by 10 basis points to settle at the same level of 11.64%, and the 364-day rate ticked up by 12 basis points to 11.73%. For your information, one basis point is equivalent to 0.01%, and therefore 100 basis points is equivalent to one percentage point. In the primary bond market, the auction for the seven-year amortized infrastructure treasury bond was held on Wednesday the 14th of June, and the central bank received bids totaling an astronomical 220 billion shillings against an advertised amount of 60 billion shillings, representing a performance rate of 367%. The central bank ended up accepting the bulk of these bids, which totaled 213 billion shillings at a weighted average rate of 15.83%. Based on my past experience in the markets, the 220 billion shillings that was received for this auction has set a record for the largest primary bond issuance in the country's history. The Treasury indicates that the total receipts from domestic borrowing as at the end of April stood at 406 billion shillings against a target of 886 billion shillings, leaving a funding gap of 480 billion shillings. It is therefore widely expected that the central bank will be returning to the market with a top sale for this infrastructure bond. In the secondary bond market, the turnover in the domestic market declined by 56% during the past week. And in the international market, the yields on Kenya's eurobonds were on a downward trajectory as they declined by an average of 66 basis points, with a yield on the 10-year eurobond that matures in June 2024 declining the most by 130 basis points from 14.4%, to 13.1%. The downward trajectories of Kenya's zero-bond yields is partly attributed to the enhanced fiscal consolidation measures undertaken by the government. At the Nairobi Securities Exchange during the past week, the equities market was on a downward trajectory with the NASI, the NSE 20, and the NSE 25 declining by 5.2%, 1.8%, and 3.8% respectively. This takes the year-to-date performance to losses of 21% for the NASI, 6.6% for the NSE 20, and 16% for the NSE 25. 
The market's performance was mainly driven by losses recorded by large-cap stocks such as Safaricom, KCB Group, Diamond Trust Bank, and East African Breweries, which declined by 10.2%, 7.4%, 4.6%, and 3.9%, respectively. These losses were, however, mitigated by gains recorded by other large-cap stocks, such as Bamburi and Stanbic, which increased by 5.7% and 1.1%, respectively. Up next is the topical issue, and this week we are looking at the highlights of the budget for the next financial year. On Thursday, the Treasury Cabinet Secretary, Professor Joguna Dongwe, presented the budget for the fiscal year 2023-2024, which puts the country's total spending at 3.68 trillion shillings, and this is equivalent to 22.6% of Kenya's gross domestic product. The government of Kenya intends to generate a total revenue of 2.9 trillion shillings with income tax contributing 41%, whilst the value-added tax is expected to contribute about 24%. The fiscal deficit is estimated at 718 billion shillings, and these will be funded mainly from the domestic market, with the central bank expected to deliver 586 billion shillings, whilst the balance of 132 billion shillings will be sourced from foreign external lenders. And in terms of budgetary allocations to the various arms of government, the executive will receive the lion's share of the allocation at 2.16 trillion shillings, whilst the parliament and the judiciary will receive 40 billion shillings and 23 billion shillings, respectively. Meanwhile, the equitable share to the county governments was set at 385 billion shillings. And to support the Kenya Revenue Authority to achieve its revenue target of 2.57 trillion shillings, the Treasury Cabinet Secretary has proposed the following changes in revenue collection. On value-added tax, the Cabinet Secretary has proposed to zero-rate liquefied petroleum gas products in order to make them affordable. However, on the other hand, the government has opted to increase the VAT rate for petroleum products from 8% to 16%. On income tax, the cabinet secretary has proposed to introduce two additional tax bonds, the first being for monthly incomes between 500,000 to 800,000 shillings, where income tax will be charged at 32.5%, and the second tax bond for monthly incomes above 800,000 shillings per month, where the income tax rate will be at 35%. The Cabinet Secretary has also introduced a housing levy of 1.5% of the employee's gross salary, and this will go towards supporting the controversial housing program, which is also expected to create employment opportunities for the youth. Small businesses will also be affected as the cabinet secretary has increased the turnover tax rate from 1% to 3%, but at the same time lowered the upper threshold to 25 million shillings. 
And last but not least, landlords will get a reprieve as the rate of residential rental income tax has been reduced from 10% to 7.5% in order to promote compliance. And on that note, we come to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you as always for listening to the Market Color Podcast. We hope that you found it to be useful and informative. And if so, please share it with a friend and help to spread the word around. We really do appreciate your assistance in this effort. And for your information, the Market Color Podcast is now available on all the major hosting directories. That is Apple Podcast, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Podcast. Please subscribe and remember to turn on the lights to be notified of new episodes. And if you have any ideas or feedback on how we can improve this podcast, please feel free to reach me on the following email address. That is jamuhuriG at gmail.com. Jamuhuri spelled J-A-M-U-H-U-R-I. Once again, thank you for your continued support and I look forward to interacting with you again next week. And in the meantime, please do have yourselves a blessed and productive week ahead. And remember, no matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. Think about it. Thank you and God bless.